Welcome back, listeners. We'll keep this short as we've already done a silly intro for part one of this interview. If you haven't listened to that, then go and check it out. Not the silly intro, but part one of the actual interview. So this is our not-so-silly intro for part two uh, of our chat with Dan Harris from CX Partners about their study on customer centricity for large organizations and how you can measure this and level up your organization. So let's get straight back to the chat. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. On the kind of strategy side of this, you know, when we talk about making product decisions, you know, there's there's the sort of tactical, smaller day-to-day product decisions, and then there's like defining the product strategy. Uh, you know, often when you're defining your product strategy, it's got to be tied in with the business strategy. So there's a bit of there's an element of, you know, market research and analysis and and mm. potentially like financial modeling or like understanding of pricing or, you know, all sorts of the kind of what I would consider more sort of business analysis that yeah. that goes alongside that. So, you know, when we say like, don't let your leadership make product decisions, <laughs> is that a kind of, you know, give or take (laughs) rather than a hard like they're not allowed in the room they're not allowed to do (laughs) yeah to do that and no I I you know of course all of that activity has to happen um you know one of the the biggest findings was that you know high performing organizations use a blend of research so they'll use market research they'll use survey data they'll and they will use qualitative as well and I think that makes the difference actually, between whether you're highly mature or not. If you blend it with qualitative, it will make all the difference. If you imagine, you know, pricing, um, of course, there's lots of data out there for how you should, you know, potentially price. But there's also, uh, you know, a creative question in there. You know, if we are creating this product for a, you know, a new market to solve a different problem, then actually, what is it worth to, to customers? And that is a question that you have to take out to customers mm. themselves. They will tell you what they'll pay. They'll tell you more than that. They'll tell you what it's worth to them at a deep level. And I think that is that is the difference um, between the highly mature organisations and the, the not-so-mature organisations, that, that is that they'll take that business analysis and they'll make a decision off of that alone and right. that that is where there's a real risk um to, to business so yeah dan one of the amazing things that you uncovered which is going to be music to lots of people's ears but potentially also a bit dangerous is you're talking about uh product managers should have a strategic role and not just be backlog managers so that's great 
unless the business decides that the people in the role aren't up to that. But so how does, what's that actually functionally look like on a day-to-day -day basis? What kind of people are they hiring? How are they performing in the organization? What is the role of a strategic product manager and who is doing the backlog management in these organizations? So what's great about product management is that there are three fires to fight all the time. The three fires of technology, customers and business. And it's, you know, I can't think of another role uh, apart from in the C-suite where people have to think about those three things at the same time. So for me, product management is absolutely strategic. Um, and what I think has happened over the past few years is um, I, my, my question is whether that has been slightly eroded, that idea that product management is at the heart of creating value out of those three really big things, creating value out of technology, creating value for customers, creating value for business. That is a very complex thing to do. Um, and so that might be why we're seeing uh, quite a lot of data show up in the, in the report. Um, that tells us that, you know, product managers are, you know, certainly in low, low maturity organizations are, are simply managing backlog and then they're not really making decision on, on product. Um, now, what does it look like? <laughs> uh, you know, a strategic product manager is someone who is, you know, taking data, taking insights, you know, working with designers, working with team, they're creating prototypes together. They are testing ideas, you know, with other teams or with customers. They are being highly collaborative with themselves, with other teams. They are taking insights and, and showing the business just what is at stake you know, in terms of customer problems, they're showing them the opportunity for solving those customer problems. They're working with leadership to turn that into a, a strategic roadmap. They're, they're, they're using that roadmap to inform how they put backlog together, how they put uh, features together. But they're not, they're not worried about features. What they're worried about is customer problems. They're worried about the, the how might we's, they're worried about the, the challenges and the pain points that customers have, and that's what they put on their backlogs. They don't put features on their backlogs. Now, for me, and for a lot of those highly, highly mature organizations, that is what product managers do. And um, anything short of that, you've got a real, actually, it becomes more of a friction point where customer insight doesn't flow through to other teams and to the organization and to, you know, the, the product teams that are going to create the solutions. So that's, that, that's where I'd, I'd say product managers, that's the role in a highly mature organization. And, and it's not just them. It's how they are nurtured and set up within the organization. What we're talking about here, I think, is the product managers, it, their employee experience. You know, if you can get it right, give them the right tooling, given the right processes, the right governance, then they can thrive and, and do that work for you. So obviously you've 
like spoken to or kind of done this research with lots of different businesses and you work with lots of different businesses in your kind of day-to-day as well did you kind of uncover the reasons why organizations kind of end up with product managers more in that sort of backlog grooming situation rather than in a more contemporary sort of modern idea of like or or the better idea of a a strategic product manager yeah well my um you know we, we we didn't do a huge amount of research with uh organizations that were probably scoring lower on the on the index we did a lot of research with those that scored highly Right. Uh, so what we know about the highly mature organizations is that, you know, their, their product management functions are contemporary. They are strategic. Um, our, our, you know, our experience with working with, you know, lower, lower maturity organizations tells us that, you know, that, that in, in those complex organizations, those complex environments, um, perhaps product management is, is a, a unit or a department on its own and it's about you know probably scaling you know the organization needs to scale and grow and build digital products so they need people that they can put into those roles and that might be you know something that they need to accelerate and maybe place you know people that that don't really have the experience to bring a strategic perspective to product management that might be what's going on so Dan, for those product teams, how do you organize them in in high-performing organizations? There's lots of debate about do you put them together in functional areas or business lines or customer problems? What's what's the thing that you found, if if anything, that was consistent? That's a great question. Consistency, uh, you know, came from, you know, just the, the, the high-level data. We found that, you know, hi- highly mature organizations had – uh, product managers and researchers uh, that those in particular those two roles were were strategic roles product managers would um, you know work with cross-functional teams in highly mature organizations a couple of the uh, companies we spoke to um, over interviews they told us how they built the teams uh, and structured them in, in a way that really, uh, broke down silos within their organization this was this this was something that was uh, absolutely fundamental to this organization in fact this this company scored the top score they were, they were the only company to score the top score and in fact they had uh, an annual revenue growth that was way off the charts they represented the, the sort of hockey stick the end of the hockey stick for our data so we we needed to we we rem- actually removed them from the data set because it was looked like an anomaly. <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> they they performed they outperformed everyone else in many many different ways. And their story is really one of how they structure uh, their whole organization uh, around self organizing. You know, collaborative uh, teams. They talk about um, they talk about their people actually. Um, as uh, they talk about this idea of dry stone walls. So, you know, dry stone walls are made of different shaped bricks, different shaped stones that, you know, if you fit them together really well, uh, you don't need any uh, cement or 
mortar to, to keep it together. They hold themselves together in these walls. They use this as an analogy to, to talk about their teams, their people. They hire T-shaped people who are able to, you know, be flexible enough to move and shape around others and collaborate, therefore collaborate really well. But they have a depth um, of knowledge in a, in a particular area. And they, they're sort of maniacal about automating as much as they can with, with their software. So they have their, their support center agents working with their developers in these sort of pop-up product management you know, teams that they work on software. They have a, have a piece of software that they actually sell to other um, companies in their industry. They're in retail energy uh, sector. They sell their internal support center software to other uh, companies. And what it does is it, it allows them to you know, record their conversations with customers, go back over the history. It allows them to, um, in small teams, understand problems of their customers and, and, and really bring, bring them into uh, product teams very, very quickly. And it's having that sense, that cadence of being able to know what the problem is, spot the pattern and iterate around that, that, that really set them apart from other organizations that, that, that we know of. So that sounds, you know, that sounds kind of amazing. And I'm sure everyone will be wondering who that is and be wanting to go and work there. Um, I'm just wondering how that translates to other organizations, um, you know, where you have a, a variety of different ways in which customers interact with a business, whether it's with kind of a sales organization or marketing touch points as well and then also customer support or or kind mm. of use of a, a, a product whether it's like a, a SaaS product or, or whatever it feels like if you had uh you know all of these kind of mini teams working on customer problems in their own silos like you could end up with just chaos <laughs> <laughs> rather than like extreme growth <laughs> yeah that 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 growth idea is i think a result of how they've been doing this okay i i'd, I'd even put it in as much as their customers have been absolutely part of their growth story so this company has grown you know revenue wise over 200 percent per year it's quite astonishing they've gone from ten thousand to fifty thousand to 500,000, they've got a million customers within, let's say, I think it's, it's four or five years. And one of the reasons they talk about is, you know, some of those other functions like marketing, to your point, you know, as I was talking about, you know, the support center. But in terms of marketing, they've taken a, an approach where it's that they've tried to make it as one to one as possible. So, you know, of course, you could think about scale from a technology point of view. You could think about it from a product point of view, you know. But what, what, what this company did was say, well, actually, if we are one-to-one -one with our customers as much as possible, we can find out as much as possible at a really high level. And we're talking, you know, CEO um, regularly emails new customers who join and if we are at that level, you know, we can have these conversations 
then we can learn about what their problems are in the moment. And that can flow into how we develop our services for them. It can flow into how we uh, send out communications to them because we know actually if if there's a there's something that they don't need to know and they don't want to know we can take that out of our communications within the hour and that means that they're learning about customers their customers are teaching them about how they can run the business to serve all their other customers that they want to gain so you could see it as a okay well there's product over here <laughs> And then there's your customers and your customers in this instance are, are an incredible asset. Why wouldn't you want to get as close as you can to them and bring them in as far as you can and let them influence? You know, of course, with intelligence and uh, all the checks and balances and all the regulation that you have to adhere to, but bringing them as or seeing them as the asset, I think made all the difference the, the, for this this organisation, and they've structured their entire organisation around that. The original question was, you know, is it chaos? When we spoke to them, they talked about lots of things that they put in place to make sure there wasn't chaos, <laughs> and those were things like, you know, they have regular weekly, uh, fr- they, they call them Friday night dinners, and. Their, their, their entire product marketing team comes together for an hour and they just share stories about their, you know, what they've been working on with customers. They have in place um, this idea that you know, everyone is, a, is actually a leader and they communicate with their staff in, in a way that will, you know, we're all working towards one goal, one mission here. And we, you, you have the, all the freedom and responsibility to be part of that and, and really take that out and build what you need to for customers. And, you know, for the right people, and they hire the right people that are willing to be, be curious, and kind of get out of their comfort zone and not do the thing they've been told to do, but do the right thing. They have an organisation that are they're highly collaborative. They or they they want to learn from each other, so they they automatically you know find out what small other small teams are doing, and and figure out if there's a pattern that they can use over here in their team. They have managers that focus on um, nurturing their team members, holding the conversations about you know their careers and what they're doing, and they take on. Um, a sort of, as I said at the start, a sort of servant leadership. They are trying to make sure that their teams have the right things in place, the right um, facilities in place to to do their best work. So they they've taken. It feels like they've taken everything that a traditional organisation has had ingrained in it for years, and they're just picking off bits of it and turning it on its head and saying, mm-hmm. "No, the insight comes from." over there it comes from customers it doesn't come from inside it comes from outside dan we've got time for just a, one or two more questions mm. uh but you one of the other points that you talked about flows really nicely from this which was about how communication is a true catalyst and i mean you just talked pretty eloquently about it but is there anything you missed yeah i've got some data i want to put it 
<laughs> I want to furnish furnish what I've said with 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 some data. We um, so how did we score organisations on communication? We 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 measured uh, how well insights were communicated up uh, to leadership, and we also measured how uh, strategy was communicated to the broader organisation as well as between teams. And um, what we found was when uh, an organisation scores really highly on communication, that has an incredible compound effect on their maturity overall. So it has a compound effect on all the other dimensions, has a compound of, you know, it, it improves how they, you know, how their people work, how their processes work or facilities they have. You can imagine, you know, why that is. If you've got great communications in place, then everyone knows what they're doing. They can be coordinated. The team can be coordinated. So that was that was a, a really um, it was really nice to see that 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 was that was there. You know, the hunch that we'd always had. Similarly, if if organisations were low scoring and communication, it really dragged them down on every other dimension. So it really is. Uh, one of the most important for me it's the most important um, mm. dimension here now what we found was to some of those questions 90 percent of the highly mature organizations they they told us that they were aware of other teams work and they were aware of strategic goals now contrast that to just five percent of low maturity organizations were not aware of each other's work or about uh, broader strategic goals so there's a real you know, huge contrast there. And there's there's two ways in which communication is important. Firstly, about quality, <laughs> quality of communication. Secondly, quantity. So, you know, quality is is key. So what we heard from one of our participants was, um, uh, it was actually Blah Blah Car. They're a car sharing site in France. And they talked about uh, the CEO putting together a... A customer vision video and this was quite some years ago and that still being cited and referred to years later and what that tells you is that that, that there's something uh, so important about telling something that's really h- highly emotive and highly inspirational and it really helped the team understand where they were going with their customers and with their product so Really communicating at a, at a high quality level, a high, you know, a rich, high fidelity uh, level is is important. And then you've got quantity. So we describe this in the white paper as being, you know, if you're relentlessly communicative, that makes a massive difference. And and it and it is. It's about being relentless. If you've got something great, if you've got a great strategy, if you know how you're going to solve problems or you know that there are massive opportunities in the problems that you're seeing you are going to want to talk to your team about that and and we found that you know if you do that and yes it's exhausting because you have to be you have to do it all the time we found that organizations that that did it regularly that communicated regularly and put it into employee onboarding for example you know that was really about um about making it very clear all the time everyone knew that they were on the same mission, on the same path. That was really important. It's about doing it regularly. So yeah. 
when you say when you say relentlessly, relentlessly. I just like like I just have this like horror like feeling like this horror sort of image of slack with like just 20 million channels and like 20 million messages in each of the different channels but I guess I guess what you mean is is it just like the core like the core strategic messages and the the mission and the values and the that's the bit that's relentless rather than I think it's the values (laughs) yeah you put that you put that yeah put your finger on it there I think it's about values I think it's right you know you 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 want you want diversity in your team because you want them to take the same values but look at them in different ways and if people are reminded of those values and you celebrate people that uh, have really gone a long way to meet those values then you know you've got a great organization that knows that it can communicate with each other really well and and you know, you encourage that communication across teams as well. So it, it's when when I say relentless, I don't just mean it's you know top down, <laughs> bottom dream. up. It's <laughs> yeah, it's not slack disaster. It's it's a slickness in communication yeah. across the whole organisation and across teams as well. Right. So we ha- have just one more item on this list, yeah. um, which <laughs> we've kind of split this this um interview into two parts and we're still running out of time (laughs) but let's just really quickly touch on the last point which is um all around service design so you know you say these kind of high performing organizations think about service design but is this in every single organization that they're that they have service design capability Uh, we did find high correlations of service design ability in highly mature organizations so you know there is it is important now what i'd also say is that there were other roles that we surveyed like content design um which which we found that you know there was a correlation as well um as well as product management of course so service design did come come through i think it's it's been highlighted its value last few years because a lot of government services are now developed by uh you know service designers that's what certainly in the uk the government digital service really promotes and when we talk about service design we're really talking about well let's make sure that we're considering all of the touch points are we making sure there's no gaps in the touch points what can happen is is that product you know product teams can get into features and you know the the consideration of the full service end to end is 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 hard for product teams to actually consider so when when we're talking service design we're saying if there are roles that can have the perspective quite an empowered role to have the perspective across portfolios across products so that the the experience overall the brand experience the offline the online experience is coherent for customers then you're you're going to really meet their needs and and not drop the ball at a certain touch point it often happens that you know the mobile web version is something that isn't quite up to date with another version um of a service and you know it's just an example of of where things can fall down now really what i'm talking about for for most organizations is you know yes great if you can have service designers as a role but what i'm really talking about is think service design so think about 
considering you know the, all, all of the stakeholders actually in a in a service and you know you can see it when it goes wrong when people don't think about all the stakeholders where i remember listening to um uh, brian uh chesky from airbnb a while back um talking about some of the you know authority some of the local authorities that shut airbnb down you know a, a number of years ago and he said you know if they'd considered uh local authorities as a as a as quite a major stakeholder to their service at the beginning that that they may have had a different outcome mm-hmm. so you know for us service design is really thinking about the system i i i talk about you know the chair in the room if you're designing a chair you need to design in the context of a room you need to design the room in the context of a of a house i think it's the same with with product and um, that's a quote yeah. from Elil Saarinen, by the way, an architect, you know, where you, you know, in order to get it right for that, that feature, you have to think about it in the broader context. I think it's the yeah. same for, for product teams, product managers, you know, get, getting their experience right inside their organization means that it's going to be right for customers overall. Customers can see this stuff, <laughs> whatever's, whatever features you have and however you design them are absolutely a product and a reflection of your internal, um, the way that you're set up internally. So thinking about it from that systemic point of view is, I think, super important for customers. And on that note, that does conclude part two of our um, interview with you, Dan, all about high-performing orgs and customer centricity. It sounds like it was a really fascinating study if people want to find out more, is there somewhere they can go to, to read more? Yeah, there is. If you go to the uh, CX Partners website, it's all there, cxpartners.com, um, and you can download the white paper and take a, a self-assessment as well. That will give you a, a score and a benchmark. So, Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. Oh, it's been great to talk to you both. Thank you. The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>